Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. One of my jobs here at Public Radio is to use my voice and sound as much like myself as possible. But what if, in order to do your job, you had to change your voice? Today, meet an actress who's an expert at accents, who ponders with me about what taking on an accent can do for you. We think we're these fixed identities. It's so funny. You can, you do, you are allowed to change that, just like we might change clothing. You know, we get to choose. That's what's fun about it. Meet the German version of Will Smith and Peter Griffin. Here's Peter Griffin. Und ihr hört den Bücherwurm auf WNPR. <laughs> and meet a TV news anchor who went viral when she took her anchor voice home. So it was like, good evening, my name is Jeanette Reyes. I'm reporting live here in the kitchen and we're trying to figure out what we're going to have for dinner. I'm Kyone Wolf, Voices at Work. That's next on Audacious, right after the news. Thank you for making WNPR's recent membership drive an overwhelming success. Remember to mail in your pledge of support as soon as possible to keep the news and information here every day on Connecticut Public Radio. This is WNPR, Connecticut Public Radio, WNPR Norwich, WEDW Stanford Greenwich, WPKT Meriden, WRLI Southampton, and WNPR.org. Oof, okay, I'm going to stop that tape right there and say, from Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford, this is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf, and that was one of the first breaks I ever recorded for the station, back when I was an intern in 2007. And as you can tell, it was more like I was imitating an announcer. I didn't know how to just talk like myself, which you'd think wouldn't be that hard, but I don't know, there's something that happens sometimes when you're in front of a mic, knowing that a whole bunch of people are hearing you. It took years for me to change my on-air voice into my voice. Today, you're going to hear from people who change their voice for a living and who are very, very good at it. You'll meet the German voice of Peter Griffin from Family Guy. Plus, an anchorwoman in D.C. talks about why she thinks it is that millions of people keep watching videos she posts of herself using her anchor voice at home with her husband. But first, come back with me to the year 2008. A young actress, Amy Walker, has posted a video on YouTube called 21 Accents. Hello, my name is Amy Walker. I'm 25 years old, and I was born in London, England. Guten Tag, my name is Amy Walker. I'm 25 years old, and I was born in Berlin, in Germany. G'day, mate, hey, guy, I'm Amy Walker, and I'm true blue Aussie, mate. That's right. I'll always call Australia home. Hello, I'm Amy Walker. I'm 25, and I was born in California, LA. Oh, hello, I'm Amy Walker. I'm 25 years old, and I was born in Toronto, Canada. Oh, hello. My name is Amy Walker, and I'm an actress and a writer. Some of that video's almost 12 million views are mine. Okay, a lot of those 12 million views are mine. Ever since I was a little kid, I've been fascinated with accents and imitations. Back in the 80s, I'm pretty sure I wowed my classmates with my Ronald Reagan impression. Well, Nancy, I sure would like some jelly beans. 
As I grew up, my ambition to do accents and impressions, for better or worse, dissolved. But here I am still pondering what doing impressions and different voices did for me, how they molded me. So I asked Amy Walker about how, as children, mimicking the voices and characters around us helps form our personal style of speech, and how she got bit by the accent bug. I love that you brought that up, because yes, to me, it's a completely natural part of of our growing up and defining ourselves in terms of what we are and what we're not and what we're allowed to be. And when we're little, we just absorb and try things out and taste them and play. And so to me, you know, when I was eight and knew that I needed to be an actor, it was because I I like having lots of doors open of what I'm allowed to be. So accents to me, you know, when I was first learning to talk and what language is and how to box things in my brain, I wasn't separating those from the way that they were said. So when I would watch, you know, Mary Poppins and hear, which was one of my, one of the few examples of different accents that I had as a kid growing up on a small island. And so when you hear how Julie Andrews says some pools, I'm like, what is what is that? And so at some point it just clicked, you know, I would run over those lines in my head at some point, oh, St. Paul's, but she doesn't say St. Paul's, she says St. Paul's. So, you know, I learned it as St. Paul's. And then, you know, you hear Ellen, girl, you don't think the lion could have got to them, do you? You know, I found there was a banging around the cage. And I was like, what is she saying? And I learned it all. Just, I learned the sounds but I would roll over them in my brain until I could start piecing them out. And even in my early 20s, I'd be like, I know what she's saying. <laughs> As you have explored all the accents that you're drawn to, which ones have come pretty easily to you? Mm. English. Yeah, that feels really natural. I think Australian took more time because it was quite different. I moved to to Wollongong, just south of Sydney, and it took about three days. So, because there's a lot of there's a lot of jargon uh, in Aussie that I bloody love, but you've got to encounter it, you know, because you wouldn't guess that a bubbler is a drinking fountain. So you've just got it like there's just a lot that you've got to absorb, and I love like Aussie still feels heaps normal to me. I don't know. You get to a point and it all feels natural. I suppose there's some something Southern that just feels real, you know, real warm and cozy and, and home-like, even though I've never lived in the South. Just the vibe. Just the vibe. <laughs> it's the vibe. One of my favorite quotes from the castle. Have you seen the castle? No. It's an Australian film. Oh my God. You've got to watch the castle. Um, that reminds me of Have Fun Storm in the Castle from Princess Bride. Yeah, Have Fun Storm in the Castle. <laughs> bye bye. To go down easier. Goodbye. <laughs> you think it'll work? It'll take a miracle. Bye. bye. <laughs> <laughs> so I I need like I need to talk to you about the Scottish burr, which is a fancy way of saying the Scottish accent. And I, I learned by the way that it's it's Irish brogue and Scottish burr. But I, I bring it up because it is my favorite accent by far of all the ones I've heard anyway and and like I love it so much that I I've been very upfront with my wife that if if I ever traveled to Scotland before meeting her my life would be really different because I I would like get off the plane and I would maybe 
drop a gum wrapper on accident and then someone, it doesn't matter their gender or how attractive they may or may not be, their age, someone would pick up my gum wrapper and say, you drop something and my knees would go weak and I'd fall to the ground and I would propose <laughs> marriage to them because it's just this succulent, hypnotic accent that just totally destroys me. So I want to know, first, if you feel the same way about the Scottish burr, and second, <laughs> what other accent has this effect on you? Mm. Well, of course, there are so many <sighs> accents in any country. So... Yeah, I've literally, literally fallen to my knees <laughs> on the phone <laughs> when I used to sell tickets at a theater uh, on the island I grew up on, Woodby Island Center for the Arts, wonderful performing arts center, and not a lot of accents there, a lot of just white people, same, very similar accent, and this uh, man from maybe Lewisham in the UK <laughs> somewhere, he would call up and he'd say, yes, I'd like some tickets for, um, for Saturday. And I'd be like, and I'd have to say, oh, for, for Saturday, you know, <laughs> when, it, when, it was, when it's Saturday. And he'd say, and I'll, you know, I'd say, would this be Visa or, or MasterCard? <laughs> and he'd be like, MasterCard. <laughs> And I was literally on my knees trying to not just have glass cut me up inside when I would say MasterCard. Hard R's. There's a power in having an accent that puts you out of place and makes you interesting. For example, I used to work for T-Mobile. I was a salesperson in a mall. And I was there for 10 years. So I had a lot of really regular customers. One day I thought it would be kind of funny to experiment with having a British accent or whatever I thought was a British accent. Uh, and let me see how that would affect my sales. So sure enough, I did whatever the hell version of a, of a British accent it was. And in an era where selling three phones a day was like pretty great, I sold nine phones that day. <laughs> nine phones. But there was a moment where one of my favorite regulars saunters into the store while I'm using this accent and I knew he could hear me and I was faking it and I was really embarrassed. But I, does that cross your mind sometimes? Like it, it is an interesting social power to be able to make yourself stand out sometimes when you feel like it's okay to do that. Oh, you get much better service in this country. <laughs> and you sound like an expert automatically. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I mean you know if I worked at a at somewhere you, oh, you hear pilots I even read about this when I read the right stuff they were talking about how they kind of trained pirate pipe pirates <laughs> <laughs> they trained those two <laughs> well you can't be a pirate unless you can <laughs> um, but pilots in a little bit of a drawl just a little bit of something gentle that's going to make you feel uh, this is your captain speaking, you know, I feel right at home, right at ease, got some of those lilting things, put you at ease. But um, yeah, you know, when I was a teenager, I would go clothing shopping and and you have to be careful that you don't go in twice. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Or at least you're consistent. But yeah, they, you know, everyone wants to help you. There is a lot of power. I want to bring in my producer, Jessica Severin Di Martinez. She grew up in Germany and she can speak for herself, but um, I'd like to just have Jessica talk and 
Amy, just your reaction to her accent. Yes, I am originally from Germany, but since 2005, I haven't lived in Germany and we first moved to Sweden. And then we were in the UK, actually, in Oxford for, oh, I don't know, five years, six years before we moved to the States in 2014. Um, but yes, I, I always try to somehow blend in and get my accent closer to where I live. But at the same time, I find it hard. And I'm, I'm giving up. I'm just leaving it the way it is. I wish I could just adapt like you could. But I must say, when I lived in the UK, my English tended to be a little bit mm. more British. <laughs> but everyone can still tell she's German, most likely. So. Because you want to be understood. Right. So um, when I hear you speak, there's a, um, a tightness in the back of your throat. Can you hear it? Just a little bit. And uh, in your jaw, just a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so if you're able to relax that down right. a little bit more, kind of let that settle into, into a more relaxation in the back of your tongue, mm -hmm. you'll get more of that openness. And then having a little bit more relaxation in your jaw can keep the sound a bit more here instead of a little bit squished. Ah, that little bit. Often a tell is the final. We, we do this weird thing in English where we have a lot of voiced consonants at the end of the words. D's can sound like T's at the end. Right. A little bit. You know, and then we do this weird thing where we'll, we'll hold it. We'll say what or we'll say dad and not dead or something like that. So like we won't say to. We'll say ta or da that go to go to the store and so two can be one of those last little sticklers as well I think I should take lessons from you <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> thanks thank you thanks for for hopping along with that thanks Jessica too <laughs> I love your accent I don't want I don't want you to change it I just want you to be happy with it I think you sound beautiful and that's the thing that people feel like personally sad when their friends lose, you know, lose. we say lose as if there's change. <laughs> it vaporizes. Their accent. But yeah, there's no reason to change it. We, we love everybody's uniqueness. Now, I first heard of you with the 21 Accents video when it exploded all over the internet in 2008. And as of this recording, it has 11 million views. What do you think it is? about your ability to do accents that people, including me, are so interested in? What, what is it? I think part of it is um, going back to that permission, that permission to express ourselves in different ways. And we think we're these fixed identities. It's so funny. What is fixed? What about our life is ever fixed? You don't sound like you did when you were tiny. You really don't. Some people keep that, you know, for a long time. And they could be, you know, 45 and still sound like this. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you can, you do, you are allowed to change that, just like we might change clothing. And so I think there's something, what surprised me about that, the response to that video is how unsettling it was for people like people were disturbed. Some people were disturbed by it and very, very unsettled because they did not know where I was actually from. And that really surprised me. So like there, I think there's this desire to know where to place people in a box and I get it. 
but it's still fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what are we doing here if not to have fun? Yeah, so, you know, we get to choose. That's what's fun about it. And like all the other parts of our, you know, how we express ourselves, we can just dig into there and feel like what feels like the deepest parts of me that are my truth. And there are infinite ways that you can express that. And they have different effects. So, I, I, you know, it's not a, there are no fixed points, but it's an interesting continued conversation for sure. Because there are so many accents on this little planet, I imagine that there are some you jump right into and do, and there are probably some you don't do. Yeah? How do I want to say this? I have to be very careful as a white person. So people from the beginning have been saying, why don't you do Asian accents or why don't you do African accents? And it does not feel right to do that. Um, I want to honor everybody. And I always, when I do an accent, it's with love and fascination and appreciation. But, you know, we have to be really careful because there's a huge potential for racism in it. And so... um, with the mindfulness, you know, just looking at this in, am I appropriating when I do another accent? How do you figure that out? Is it, is it a, just a gut check thing? Yeah, it's a gut check thing. It's going to be a continuation at, for sure. So where I'm at now is that, you know, me and my white skin, could I be, who would I be if I was from this country? What would I sound like? You know, I'll do Europe and Australia and the U.S., but I'm not going to do, you know, AABE, obviously. And um, I just have to keep listening to what BIPOC say and listening to what my what I feel in my gut, um, because it's it's really really important to me that um, people feel that freedom, but that I'm not just blundering in as a white person to say like, oh, I'm going to just take 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 your culture and use it to, for my own purposes. So at the same time, I I don't feel like the solution is, well, only Irish people can play Irish characters and only American people can play American characters. I think some of the greatest films (laughs) about our history are not Americans playing those roles. Um, But it is, a a, you know, anti-racism is really important to me. And so to continue looking at that and looking at how I am interwoven with that as an actor, as a content creator, and as uh, somebody trying on different accents, uh, it's a really essential and important conversation to keep learning from and apologize when I make mistakes and keep learning how to do better. Amy Walker. Amy Walker. Thank you so (laughs) much for talking with me and all the voices that you've got. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Such a pleasure. By the way, the day after we recorded this interview, my producer, Jessica, sent me this. This is day one after we spoke with Amy Walker. And I have never in my life thought this much about my accent. And it has been fantastic and eye-opening. I must thank Amy for the little tips she gave me. Because I do realize I speak very much at the front of my mouth. And if I loosen up a little and speak at the back of my mouth, it sounds it sounds less um, less of an accent coming through. 
So I've been trying to do that and I went to get my first shot today at CVS and the poor lady didn't even know that I was doing a different accent. But here I am feeling completely empowered. So thank you, Amy. When we get back. Here's Peter Griffin. Und ihr hört den Bücherwurm auf WNPR. <laughs> what it's like being the voice of Peter Griffin and Will Smith in Germany. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Stay with me. I love your accent. Where you from? I'm from Ghana. I love your accent. Where you from? Hello. Hello. I'm from Sweden. I love your accent. Where you from? Maybe I got a message too. How about you? I love your accent. Where you from? Namaste. I'm from India. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Today you're meeting people who modify their voices for a living. Later you'll meet a Washington, D.C. anchorwoman whose videos of her using her anchor voice at home have gone viral. But first, imagine you're chilling in Germany, washing down some schnitzel with a stein of Doppelbach, settling into an episode of Family Guy. Moment, das hört sich wahnsinnig teuer an. Können wir nicht was Nettes hier zu Hause machen? Hier kann man sich auch entspannen. Hey Leute, ich habe beschlossen, Bastrommel spielen zu lernen. Ich fange an, an zu packen. packen. <lacht> That's voice actor Ian Odell playing Peter Griffin. As you'll hear, he overdubs a lot of American actors for German audiences. Like every time they see Will Smith in almost anything, they're hearing Ian. And Ian has been working and refining his craft since he was five years old. I asked him how he, how anybody, gets into the voice dubbing business. There are two ways of getting into this thing, I, I would say. One of them is to um, start as a kid. As a child, you have no inhibitions whatsoever. Um, you're a natural-born parrot. So you have you see an actor on the screen and you're told to just do what the actor on the screen does. And if you have a sense of rhythm and you can repeat the line over and over again and, and always at about the same pace, then you're a natural-born voice talent. Because acting is something that you don't think about as a child. You just do it or you copy what you see. Um, you don't try to bring in your own interpretation um, then you want to do it again and again, and uh, you keep on going back. Now, one thing that I misunderstood when learning about overdubbing and, and casting for overdubbing, not necessarily with cartoons, but with live actors, was that you aren't necessarily trying to match the voice of the original actor, right? No, no. We, we would certainly not want to mimic the objective is that when the actor, actress, whatever, uh, opens his or her mouth and the voice comes out, that it uh, suits the face and suits the acting. You're doing the part, not trying to yes. mimic the actor. Just like the actor is trying to do the part in the first place. Exactly. You're not, you're not saying verbatim, word for word, exactly what the original actor is saying. So you can't just... Uh, mimic the original. You have to interpret the part yourself a little bit. You must 
I mean, you must love it, right? Because you don't do all the work you've done if you aren't if your heart doesn't race when you do something like this. Uh, otherwise, some voiceover actors might look at this and say, "No, I'm I'm gonna pass. Thanks." I can't get enough of it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. What is it about this job that makes you say that? Well, every role is different, and um, every every well, not not every role is a challenge. Some of them are just uh, quotidian day to day work just like every other job, but um, most of it is a, a new challenge every day. Um, and the, the better the actor whose voice you get to lend, the, the bigger the challenge. That, that's what makes the, this job so interesting. It's that, that you have to try to get as close to matching the perfection of the original. Now, since you're the German voice of Peter Griffin from Family Guy, I've got to play this clip from the show and hear how you'd interpret it. Now, and uh, since we're working with radio here, you aren't going to have to worry about matching the, the pacing of Peter. But let's hear what you come up with. Here's the clip. This is Peter Griffin, and you're listening to Book Talk on WRNI. Today we'll be discussing Brett Easton Ellis' popular work, Less Than Zero, a tale of privilege, detachment, and youthful alienation. All right, Ian, let's hear it. Here's Peter Griffin, and you heard den Bücherwurm of WNPR. Wir besprechen heute Brett Easton Ellis' Werk Unter Null, eine Geschichte von Privilegien, Distanziertheit und jugendlicher Entfremdung. You nailed it. Well, I mean, as, as far as I could tell, as a non-German speaker. So, so when you're doing that, what exactly is going on in your head? <laughs> what shall I say? <laughs> I, I love the character, and uh, we, we just have never-ending fun in the studio dubbing this series. I've been at it for decades, it feels like. Um, good job security. Well, yeah. This the, the whole business is good job security because everything is dubbed here. Well, as I, as I just said, I've been at this since I was well five all my life because the school system is very good and people speak very good English, but it's just easier to watch things um, in German. Um, and also, you know, if you listen to um, an American production, you, you have a lot of regional color, you have a Southern accent, you have uh, people uh, who, who don't talk too clearly. Um, sometimes it's intended, uh, sometimes it isn't. It's in, in many cases, just very difficult to understand. I did the German version, I wrote the uh, dialogue and uh, directed the dubbing um, for Game of Thrones, for instance. Um, and they had a lot of really strange English uh, accents and dialects. And if you listen to that as a foreigner, um, you, you actually only understood about half of it, even if your English was very good. So listening to that in German just made it a lot easier to follow. That's the way, that's the, the whole point of dubbing things. And in, in America, up until a very short time ago, dubbing was just uh, considered a mortal sin uh, because uh, everything had to be subtitled because that was the only way to bring across the, the art of the original. And people ended up not understanding 
half of what was going on because they couldn't follow the subtitles. The subtitles, for the most part, were relatively lousy translations. They didn't understand the original, and they couldn't really follow all of the the picture because they were trying to read the subtitles while the movie was going on. And now recently, um, I found, much to my delight, that uh, America is starting to reconcile itself uh, with dubbing. And um, I've actually been involved in quite a bit of dubbing things into English over here. <laughs> uh, we've, we've been working with um, original cast dubbing um, into English, which is absolutely fascinating, working with Swedes and Norwegians, um, some of whom speak absolutely incredibly good English and some of whom speak, well, rudimentary English. <laughs> Adorable English. And yes, um, and are, are very grateful for a bit of assistance. Um, but the, the whole point is to keep it as close to their level as possible so that you have a balanced product where people stateside, for instance, um, can appreciate the, the broad variety of accents and of the, of the various levels of English proficiency over here. It gives it gives the whole product uh, a great a much greater level of authenticity. You voiced a lot of different kinds of people in your career, from Christian Slater to Kiefer Sutherland to Keanu Reeves to Tony Danza, and you've also done a lot of overdubbing for Chris Rock, uh, Tracy Morgan, Sinbad. Ice T, Jackie Chan, Horatio Sands, and you are the voice, the German voice of Will Smith at all times. And, and there's been some recent moves in some American cartoons, for example, that white voice actors feel they shouldn't be playing characters who aren't white anymore. As a white guy living in Germany, what's your reaction to that? I would agree to a certain extent with uh, my colleagues in the States. Um, here, I think this is a, a different matter. If, if there were more actors and actresses, local, born and raised, of color, available, interested in this business, th there would be a market for them. They, they would certainly be involved in this business, but there simply aren't enough people here to fill the, the required uh, niche. Uh, we would have the same problem with uh, a Kung Fu film or a, a film about uh, Mongolia. Um, it, it doesn't matter what ethnic niche you want to try to fill. Uh, there just aren't um, enough people around to fill the parts. So uh, it, you couldn't say there are so and so many black actors in the original. Uh, we'll just fill that with black voice talents here in, in Germany. There aren't enough. And none of us are taking roles away from somebody else um, or trying to keep people of, a, of another community out. That doesn't happen in, in the few cases where there, where, there, where there is a bit of a, let's say, a, a larger community present. Um, if you have, um, for instance, Turkish films, being dubbed here, we actually have quite a number uh, of Turkish colleagues um, who do uh, dubbing in uh, in Germany who are of Turkish origin. So yes, there is to a degree where possible um, this does happen. But if there aren't enough people around to actually fill the fill the parts, then there's nothing one can do. If 
I, I were asked to step aside for this reason, I certainly would, but I, I don't think that, that there are enough people around to fill the void. You said that you're the voice of Will Smith. Talk about how you become the voice, like locked into all of his projects. Is that common? <laughs> um, it, not, not always, unfortunately, because I think it should be. Um, I, I think it's uh, very annoying um, as a just as a as a viewer. If I go to the movies uh, or watch TV, um, and I hear uh, have always heard one voice for one actor, and then all of a sudden I hear another voice, um, I find it very annoying. But otherwise, I I, I was cast for the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, and the the people who heard that liked it, um, and it never changed. And so there's an expectation in general that people will hear you and only you whenever they see Will Smith. Yes, there have been there have been a couple of exceptions um, here and there uh, when they, they they wanted somebody more um, uh, prominent. They wanted somebody from from uh, uh, let's say celebrity uh, value for marketing purposes, especially for animated uh, films. And the, the uh, feedback in the media was absolutely disastrous uh, because all of a sudden Will Smith didn't have the same voice as before. <laughs> and that, it, it, it pleased me. <laughs> yeah, I think so. So that means that there is a certain level of fame, success, ubiquity that an actor can achieve so that when they are working for the rest of their lives, they also have this like, forgive me, but like a school of fish of voiceover interpreters who they bring along with them. Absolutely, yes. Because he has dedicated actors who do him, do you know like the French Will Smith? Like, are you buddies? Uh, no, we're not buddies. Um, uh, not Mortal enemies? We, not because we couldn't be buddies, but um, uh, I actually uh, have been to Paris um, and watched uh, a dubbing uh, session. Um, so I met Will Smith's French voice in Paris, but yeah. Do you feel like a kinship with them? To a degree. Okay. Yes. <laughs> the, 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 the various Will Smiths around the world. <laughs> a convention or something, some sort of ultimate Zoom chat. <laughs> right, exa exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Ian Odell, thank you so much for talking with me. It's been a pleasure. After the break. So it was like, good evening, my name is Jeanette Reyes. I'm reporting live here in the kitchen and we're trying to figure out what we're going to have for dinner. What happened when one news anchor brought her on-air voice home? I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Be right back. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Today, you're meeting people who adapt their voice for a living. You met an actress who can leap from one accent to another in a flash, and you heard from the German voice of Peter Griffin and Will Smith. So what is it about voices and how they change that commands our attention? I talked about this with Jeanette Reyes. She's a news anchor for Fox 5 Morning and Good Day DC, but she's also really well known for her videos on Instagram and TikTok, where she uses her anchor voice at home with her husband, Robert, who's also a news anchor on another station. In your time now, 3.52, checking in with my colleague here, Robert Burton, who's giving himself a, a clean lineup. And as the kids like to say, he is fresh to death 
except everybody's okay. No injuries have been reported. Those videos have gone viral, as you'll hear, but I wanted to back up a bit. I asked Jeanette how she got to be in the television news industry in the first place and how where she lived shaped her voice. I was born and raised in Providence, Rhode Island. And I don't know that anybody's asked me that question that way. How has where you lived impacted what you do? So that's a a good question. Um, So in Providence, Rhode Island, a lot of people don't know there's a large Hispanic community, specifically Dominican. You guys are from Connecticut. Oh, yeah. All right. right. So, um, so yeah. So I grew up watching Primer Impacto on Univision. My parents are Dominican. And so I actually grew up watching Spanish news. I didn't watch uh, local news at all, actually. And so for me, the reason why um, news was so important to me, not necessarily from like a career standpoint, but I clearly saw how important its role was is because it was the primary way that my family and the Hispanic community uh, were informed about what was going on back in their home country, but also in the local community. It played such a big role in my life that I never, it never occurred to me that it could possibly be a career um, until I wanted to be an attorney. Uh, And then I got to college and I was like, I don't know that I would really enjoy (laughs) being an attorney. Um, and someone suggested, they were like, what do you think about, I think you'd be a really good journalist. Thank God for the person who suggested it. Cause I don't know that I would have, um, stumbled upon it on my own, at least maybe not that early on in college. So you go from Providence to Kent state in Ohio, and then you go to Little Rock, Arkansas, and then up to DC and then to Philly, and then back to DC where you are right now, all these locations must be doing something to your voice, right? Ohio is considered to have like a neutral accent. Um, I mean, Clevelanders will tell you different, different pockets of Ohio, but generally they have a neutral accent. And I think with me, I just picked up on the neutral accent because I remember I didn't know I had a Rhode Island accent until a friend of mine called me. Like we reconnected when I was in college and he was like, you lost your accent. I was like, what do you mean? And he's from Rhode Island. So the reason why it's interesting that he would pick it up, that I had an accent was because I didn't have the typical Rhode Island accent. It was like the Latina accent talking a little bit like this, like Rosie Perez. And so it's funny because people like ask all the time, like, that's not the Rhode Island accent. I'm like, there's like a second accent. (laughs) And it's, it's when you say like through and three like a combination so does it sound familiar to you guys yeah yeah (laughs) um so yeah so I I lost the accent or at least I managed to to neutralize it when I want to when I'm upset or when I'm worked up about something it comes back out and yeah like in in the south I picked up y'all and sometimes like the southern twang comes out in Rhode Island they say you guys like northeast area say you guys you guys know that um (laughs) (laughs) well done well played (laughs) Right. So, um, so yeah, I would say those two played the biggest role, but um, if it weren't for Ohio, I might still be out here, you know, pulling my Rosie Perez, which is fine. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> when I hear TV news reporters and anchors in context, I don't really think about their voice much, but hearing you use that voice out of context in your home really strikes a bunch of different chords with me. I mean, before we talk about your videos. Will you tell me about how that anchor reporter voice is molded? Is it something you pick up as a person in front of a camera or is there like 
some vocal training that goes into that cadence? How does that work? Some people consciously work on it and there are like classes for it, especially if you have like a a strong regional accent that you just can't seem to lose. There are some people that say, well, what's wrong with having a regional accent? There's nothing wrong with it. When you're talking about news versus let's say something in entertainment, it's a story that's maybe 45 seconds, one minute long, who, what, when, where, you're packing in a lot of information. So even if you think, well, it's not that hard to understand me, you don't want viewers to even spend two, three seconds trying to decipher what it is that you said, right? So you want to be able to communicate effectively, clearly, and ultimately not have your accent be a distraction. So that's the accent part. But as far as the cadence, it also speaks to being able to be understood more easily. You'll notice we emphasize the who, what, when, and where. We don't drop off at the end of our sentences. When we're talking to someone normally, we might kind of trail off at the end of our sentences. With us, you want to keep it right at a certain tone throughout. Things like that, it's all to communicate more effectively. I know for me, when I'm on air, I'm on air for five hours a day. I deepen my tone of voice on air because it just, it's easier on, it doesn't strain my vocal cords as much. Those aren't things you really consciously think about when you're starting out in journalism, honestly. I mean, we're not making that much of an informed decision. You really just start out wanting to sound like the anchors you grew up with, right? Might sound a little funny at first. (laughs) And then you find your voice. So tell me when you first thought, you know what would be funny? Doing this voice at home. So it's funny because I had been wanting to do it for a while, my husband and I. This was back in September. And I kept on putting it off because I'm like, I don't know if people will get it. Um, People are familiar with code switching, which is typically used in the African-American community. And I was like, I don't know if this is going to sound like played out. Then we're like, we'll give it a try. And for that first video, we were talking about what we were going to eat for dinner using the anchor voice. So it was like, good evening. My name is Jeanette Reyes. I'm reporting live here in the kitchen and we're trying to figure out what we're going to have for dinner. So I was like, you know, I said, we'd like to take your suggestion. Send us an email at Jeanette Reyes so-and-so. And I had no idea that video got 5 million views. Jimmy Kimmel retweets it. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez retweets it, follows me. And I remember thinking, my husband and I, we're like, what's the big deal? We just didn't get it in the moment. But what it was, was what you mentioned, which is it's the clash between the anchor voice out of context, talking about an everyday thing that you talk about in your home. And so the anchor voice alone is already, already kind of stands out to you, even more so when you're talking about dinner though. And then we really added to it in that first video, especially by ending it with the typical code switch. And that's when I said, nah, for real, what you trying to eat? And he was like, I'm trying to have that quarter pounder, you know, that slaps. (laughs) So, so yeah, it was a hit. And it's funny because I'll try to do other videos that like aren't the anchor voice and they'll do okay. (laughs) I'm like, people are going to get sick of the anchor voice. And then I do another anchor voice video and it blows up. But like one, the last video we did, one of the last videos, it got like 9 million views just on TikTok. And I'm like, okay, I mean, I guess I'll keep going until people are like, okay, we get it. (laughs) When you got all the responses that you did about the videos, what reactions surprised you? 
what was really nice is that it kind of humanized anchors or journalists in general. Given the climate, especially in recent years, I think sometimes people forget like, wow, we might have a sense of humor or like we can be a little more relaxed, laid back, that kind of thing. And then especially with my husband and I, I think what people really liked too, because we came out with more content, like we did us arguing in the anchor voice. People liked to see two couples putting out the word that kept on coming up was just wholesome content. You know, like we don't curse. It's not anything negative. It's just funny stuff that we put out in the middle of the pandemic. And I was surprised. I underestimated just how much humor was needed. It's still now, but especially then. And so a lot of people would write to me even recently, like, I look forward to this laugh because we were on a schedule every Monday. We put out a new video. And um, I, I was pleasantly surprised to hear so many people say like, man, I've had a rough day and I just always look forward to this kind of content. And then other people saying, I started watching the news because of you, because I felt like this was someone I could relate to, especially the African-American community and the, the uh, Latino community because of code switching. And they would ask me, do you feel comfortable using your regular voice at work? And I do you know, and embracing all of it and showing that you can be multifaceted in every aspect of you is just as acceptable as the other. You speak fluent Spanish. Can you demonstrate the difference between your conversational sound versus if you were an anchor on a Spanish-speaking news program? Um, Estamos aquí en vivo en la casa hablando de algo que acaba de suceder y estamos tratando de darle la información que tenemos al momento. And then like the way not all Dominicans, some Dominicans talk. I want to, you know, generalize. Estamos aquí en la casa hablando de tal y tal y tú sabes, se sucedió algo y la gente se volvió loca y bueno. <laughs> I can hear it. So that would be like <laughs> the opposites, right? In Spanish of like TV broadcast in Spanish and then the way Dominicans talk to each other. So, uh, so yeah. <laughs> now you you brought up code switching. We did a show recently about how many people in the transgender community uh, and gender nonconforming community will also modify their voices, will code switch in order to feel safer in certain situations. Have there been times where you've absolutely been aware that you're using your anchor voice or some some version of your anchor voice to code switch? So what I'm trying to sound, sound really assertive. <laughs> and so I'll turn on the anchor voice when I just want to sound more authoritative. <laughs> like your order at the restaurant is wrong or. Yeah. Like it's like, I'm trying to write this wrong and I need to get this fixed. And the thing is, I only, I have one of two options, right? The other, the other option would be like, listen, man, like we need to get this together. This thing was wrong. And that's not really going to cut it a lot of times. <laughs> So then the other option would be like, you know, I came here earlier this morning and something happened here. I'm not quite sure if we can get this fixed, but I'd like to do this as soon as well. <laughs> so I, those are my two options. Um, it depends on the setting, but, uh, but yeah, I've definitely pulled it out sometimes subconsciously though. There is one thing I, I am legally required to ask you as a Connecticut public radio host. Uh, in one of your videos, you were narrating your husband, Robert, watching a Yukon Huskies basketball game. Oh, 
So considering that you are being blasted through Connecticut public radio airwaves right now, I got to ask, are you both fans? Oh, absolutely. You know, my husband used to do sports. So he he has an, an informed decision that he's made. And absolutely, he's a fan. So we're here for, for women's basketball and specifically UConn Huskies. That is the right answer. So thank you. <laughs> no pressure at all. It's, it's okay. <laughs> well, I've asked everything I've planned on. Is there anything that I missed or anything you really want to talk about that, that we haven't talked about yet? Oof. I, what I will say is that there is no right way to speak. There is no unacceptable accent. And specifically when it comes to, you know, in my case, the, the Latina Rosie Perez accent, I think it's good to be able to be versatile, but you should never be ashamed or feel less professional or less intelligent because you speak differently. It's just something that I do for fun. And I'm glad that people have been able, have felt seen because of it. Well, Jeanette Reyes, also known on Instagram and TikTok at Ms. News Lady and an anchor for Fox 5 Morning and Good Day DC. Thank you for talking with me. Thank you. This was a really great interview. You asked really good questions. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, can you do me a little favor? I'd like to see what happens like if I say something like, take us out, Jeanette. This is Jeanette Reyes reporting live for Audacious on Connecticut Public Radio. What? That's so awesome. Listen, I never thought I'd have the opportunity to say that. So cool. <laughs> Audacious is produced by me, Jessica Severin D. Martinez, and Katie Talarski at Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford. To subscribe and listen back to shows featuring things like what an eight-year-old with a stutter hopes people learn from him, what I was mad about at the end of my first experience at a nudist resort, what the costume designer for Schitt's Creek says is the Moira Rose outfit she's most proud of, and what it's like to be a world-famous female baritone opera singer who happens to be trans, visit ctpublic.org audacious. Send me your reactions and show ideas on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Wolf, and my email is cwolf at ctpublic.org, and online use the hashtag audaciouspublic. Thanks for listening.